All right. Well, we're actually starting Deuteronomy. So if you're, in, if you're not normally in here and you're like, I don't know what that means, uh, this is something that we, I was hoping to start about like two months ago, uh, but it didn't work out. So here we are. Uh, we're finally there, and uh, I am very excited about this and very thankful for this study uh, that we're to embark on. Um, but, so if you want to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy, you can. Um, we just finished uh, a series on the fundamentals of the family, and then we did a little mini-series uh, talking about legalism and antinomianism and love and kind of did an overview of 1 Corinthians uh, 8 through 10. Um, and that was really just um, a patch to get past the, the whole uh, Move Up Sunday and all the new children's classes and nursery and all of that. Um, but I was very thankful for both of those studies. I mean, they were very helpful uh, in my own life and uh, for my family, and I, I pray that they were helpful for you too. And, and topical studies are, are fun, but they're hard because in a topical study, you're always making decisions on what to say and what not to say and, and, I, and, um, and, and you know, what to, to bring up and what not to bring up. And I think one of the blessings of just walking through Scripture, doing verse-by-verse exposition is we're just like, this is what the Lord says, and, and we're able to, to rest in that uh, as we go through it. So I'm, I'm thankful to be uh, diving into a book. Uh, this is the first time I've taught through an Old Testament book, so I'm, I'm dusting off the Hebrew uh, that I haven't had to use in forever. And I, I, was, I was reading, uh, I had my Logos out the other day, and I was kind of reading, and I was like, what do these symbols mean, you know? Uh, <laughs> but it, it comes back quick, but it's one of those things where I'm excited about that, but more than that, Deuteronomy is just a, an, a great, great book. I've been reading it in the English over and over and over just to get my mind in the game and, and my heart in the game. And uh, I had a brother that mentioned, you know, you ought to, before you start with Deuteronomy, start with Genesis because you need to know that stuff before. And so, which is true. I mean, the more you read Deuteronomy, the more, I mean, we could keep revisiting you know, Exodus and, and things that God told Abraham in Genesis and all the stuff in Numbers that Deuteronomy mentions. But probably the best thing to do would be do a very brief, like one week, I'm, I'm going to do Genesis, Exodus in one week, and I'm going to do Leviticus, Numbers in one week. And we're going to do like a, a, a run through the Pentateuch because that will help us, I think, as we start reading Deuteronomy. Because one of the things that is assumed as you read Deuteronomy is that you know what just happened prior to this. And so Moses is there on the plains of Moab. He's given three sermons. And it's all these Israelites who just walked through this, and they know what they're about to walk into, and they know about the promises God made to Abraham that, that he's about to begin to fulfill for them as they go into the promised land. So, But again, if, if you haven't read it, or if it's been a while, well, then a lot of these things, you're going to have place names that you're like, what is that? And you're going to have, you know, events that are describing very briefly in like a verse, but took two chapters of numbers, you know, and, and I just think it would be good. So that's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to do a background. We're going to see, you know, who wrote it, why he wrote it, all that kind of stuff, and, and get our minds in the game. And then the next two weeks, actually, I made a little schedule here. The next two weeks after this, well, that's not going to work. Uh-oh. <laughs> I need to do this first. Hang with me. Um, so we'll do a background this week. Next week, we'll look at Genesis and Exodus, like I said. Big flyover, but hit the main things that Deuteronomy is going to bring up so that at least we have kind of a... Actually, and you got homework. So here's your homework. For the next few weeks, you've got to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, okay? 
So just read it like a book. You don't have to do an in-depth Bible study, all right? But just uh, because look at this. By October 22nd, we're probably going to, maybe October 15th. I'll tell you about that in a second. But it gives you like a month. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> They're great books. And uh, so read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Uh, it, we'll talk about them in here, but I think if you read them, that's just going to help you as, as we uh, uh, wrestle through Deuteronomy. Um, I'll be out of town October 8th, so I'll have a guest teacher in here. October 15th, I have to do the parent-child dedication, but it's just the very beginning. So if you guys can just eat food for like 15, 20 extra minutes, I'll be in here. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I want to start on the 15th. But I just, uh, but no matter what, the 15th or 22nd, we'll be in Deuteronomy and we will start working our way through this book. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of the plan. So today we're going to do a background. Today we're going to see uh, what all is here. And like I said, this is still going to be uh, brief. I was reading commentary after commentary and different, uh, there, by the way, there's a lot of commentaries on Deuteronomy and some of them are not worthless, but worth less than the other commentaries, for sure. Uh, and, uh, and, and there's a lot of confusion when it comes to this book. Now, some of that, I think, has to do with hermeneutical differences. Some of it may have to do with an actual lack of, of trust that this is God's inerrant word. And so those are some of the things. As I was reading these different commentaries, I was like, there's some points that were brought up that I think are, are, are very good to remind ourselves of and wrap our mind around. So I'm going to mention some of those today. But I, I thought it was just God's perfect providence that we went from... Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul, I mean, that was like a mini glimpse of Deuteronomy right there. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 is, again, assuming you, you know what happened to Israel, you know, and he's using that as an example of don't do what they did, talking to the church, and make sure that you're not making the same mistakes talking to the church. But he's doing that, and that's really what Moses is going to be doing with Deuteronomy as well. He's going to be reminding the second generation of all these things that happened. They're going to be renewing the covenant right there because they're going to walk into the, the promised land. And, uh, and he's bringing up a lot of these things that their fathers, their actual fathers and mothers, those who came out of Egypt, uh, did. And so I think that was a really good bridge, an accidental bridge from my side, a perfect providential bridge from God. Um, but um, basically, looking at 1 Corinthians 10 last week. So Deuteronomy, uh, real quick, was, is written um, for the nation of Israel as they're walking into the promised land for the first time. It's basically recounting God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's reviewing the deliverance of the nation of Israel from Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, and into the promised land. And it is going to renew the covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai, with this new generation, and calling this second generation into the same covenant of love with Yahweh God. That was like, if I could just say it in one purpose statement, I think that's what kind of sums up Deuteronomy. The book is comprised of three sermons. Uh, given by Moses on the plains of Moab right before Joshua leads Israel into their new God-granted territory. But like I said, before we dive too deep into Deuteronomy, you have to know what's happened before. Um, and it's just in the text. I mean, you know, you have to know what happened, what God did say to Abraham and why that's so important. What happened in Exodus and, and what happened, you know, the things that God did or said uh, at Sinai uh, for Israel. And then what happened after that in Numbers is they were afraid to go into the land, and they sent the spies out, and then they were like, we're not doing that. And then the 40 years in the desert, you have to know um, those, those things uh, in order to grasp Israel. And like I said, when we looked at 1 Corinthians, I mean, Paul kind of did the same thing very briefly. Man, I've got to, I've got to do this every time. 
Hopefully I'll remember as we hit these different slides. But in 1 Corinthians, we read this last week. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, our fathers. And again, speaking of the first generation of Israel. So he's using them as an example, just like we're going to see in Deuteronomy. We're all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. We're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. So again, you can read those verses. And you're like, oh yeah, I think I kind of know what he's talking about. But it's very important to know what each of those things meant. The cloud, the sea, baptized into Moses, the food, the, the drink, the rock. You know, and, and again, it's like you, you need to know what he's talking about for it to make sense. He goes on in 1 Corinthians ten six to say, Now these things have happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. We talked about that last week. That's a very important verse. And this is a good way to kind of think about how the New Testament or the Old Testament applies to us as Christians. And this is not the only way. But one of the reasons these things were written down, Paul says it right here to the church in Corinth, and it applies directly to us in Woodstock later, 2,000 years later. These things were written down for us as examples. When we're reading about Israel and we're looking at Deuteronomy, we're not the ones standing there about to walk into the promised land. God is renewing a covenant that he made. It's not, we're not the nation of Israel. But these things are very, very important for us. We, we, we act exactly like the Israelites acted. There's many things in our life that through this study, Lord willing, the, the Lord will pull those things out and we will see I am, I am running down the exact same path, making the exact same mistakes. That's a big thing. And that's what we learned in 1 Corinthians last week. And he, he talked about some became idolaters, some acted with immorality, uh, some were trying the Lord, they were grumbling and complaining, and the Lord laid them low, the whole generation. They were disqualified. They were not used to go into the promised land. Their children were. And we talked about that. It doesn't mean that none of them were believers. I mean, Moses was one of those laid low. Think about that. Aaron laid low. Miriam laid low. It doesn't mean they were all unbelievers. But the Lord used their children, not them, because of their idolatry, because of their immorality, because they were trying the Lord and not trusting him, because they were grumbling and complaining. And that was what we studied last week. The reminder was for us. In the same way, if you keep going down these paths, yes, it could lead away from the Lord. There were those who rejected him completely, but it also can just disqualify us or keep us from being useful to the Lord. And we don't want that. Either one of those things aren't, aren't good endings. But, and so it says, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. Again, this is a good reminder of, of how to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament is, is and, and the law and all of that, that was for Israel. It's not for the church. And at the same time, these things reveal things about the character of God. They reveal things about holiness and righteousness that directly apply to us. Many of the things mentioned in the law, the Lord Jesus Christ himself mentions later, which is part of that covenant we have with him, if you want to say it that way, or the law of Christ, that we are to love one another the way he loved us and love uh, God the Father. And those things are wrapped up in there. But... The whole thing is written for our instruction. And so that's, like I said, as, as we go through this, I'm going to try to help uh, bring out the implications and applications of this stuff. But it's just a reminder as we read this. We're not looking for magical pictures of Christ everywhere. And we're not looking for uh, you know, ways that you know, now that applies to the church in this way. In the sense of like this some sort of direct correlation because the church has replaced Israel. We, have, we don't start there hermeneutically and... And our, we, don't, we don't start in the same place, and so we're not going to look at it that way. But all that being said, 
we, we do know this. These things were written for us, and we've got to make sure that we're not following in their footsteps. And that was the point of last week. Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. You can't read the Old Testament and walk away and go, hey, it'd be like the, you know, the, um, yeah, the tax collector and the Pharisee who were praying to the Lord. The tax collector was beating his breast, being like, I don't, even, you know, I, I don't deserve your mercy and, and, and have mercy on me. And then the, the Pharisee's back there going, well, at least I'm not that guy. We definitely want to make sure we're not reading Deuteronomy and going, well, at least we're not Israel. You know, we need to be reading Deuteronomy and going, Lord, please have mercy on me and help me and empower, help me to not uh, go down that same path. So all that being said, like I said, that's what we did in 1 Corinthians last week. And, uh, and, and if you read uh, Deuteronomy, it's the same sort of thing. Paul assumes you understand what happened here because if you don't know the story, this, these words don't make a lot of sense. And it's the same thing with Deuteronomy. As we read Deuteronomy, you've got to know at least what started in Genesis 12 and moves all the way through Numbers 36. If you don't know that, then it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of things. You're like, what is that talking about? You know? And so uh, we, we'll, we'll go through this the next two weeks from Mesopotamia to Moab. We're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the priestly covenant that happened in all of these chapters. We're going to talk about the declaration of the nation of Israel, that God told Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you, how he formed Israel in Egypt over those 400 years after they came down, after uh, Jacob's family came down there during Joseph's uh, help during uh, the, the, the famine that was in Israel. Uh, the salvation of Israel, how he pulled them out of Egypt and brought them to this place that we're at right now in Deuteronomy, they're on the plains of Moab looking at the Jordan River, looking right over to the promised land and about to go into Jericho. And how God took that nation out of Egypt, took them to Sinai, prepared them. Then they you know, fell away and, uh, and that nation was laid, or that, those people were laid low. And now he's on the plains of Moab and he's going to do the same thing with the second generation. He's going to remind them of all these things, call them to be the people of God, and then they will go and take the land. And so... That's kind of what we're going to do the next two weeks, okay? But for today, I thought it was good. Let's just talk about Deuteronomy and talk about uh, what this book is and means and who wrote it and all that kind of stuff. Some of this may be, uh, you know, you may know some of these things, um, but there's, there was a lot of interesting things as I was reading this that were very helpful in understanding what Deuteronomy is all about. First thing, just the title of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is the last book of the Pentateuch. Um, we call it the Pentateuch that came, actually, uh, the, the, the Jewish people call it the Torah. The Torah or the Pentateuch are the same thing. It's the first uh, five books of the Bible, first five books of the Old Testament. Pentateuch just means five scrolls. So it's a Greek way of saying the first five books. And, uh, and the Jewish people call this the Torah. The official Hebrew name, and I think this is important, uh, of Deuteronomy is, is actually these are the words. And it's, it's taken the first two uh, words of the Hebrew, which are uh, Eleh Hadabarim. That's, it. that's right. I think that's how you pronounce it. Eleh hada, Hadabarim. Yep. And uh, it, it says these are the words. That's what the, the Jewish people call it, which makes a lot of sense because it, it, these are the words of Moses. That's how it starts. And you're going to see this three different times. It's, it's three different sermons that Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. These are the words uh, of Moses. And that's, that's what the, the name uh, means uh, in the Hebrew. That's a normal ancient custom to title a work by the first words that appear uh, in, the, in the actual text. Um, Deuteronomy, the name Deuteronomy, came from the Septuagint, or the Greek translators of the Old Testament, who named the book uh, Deuteron- Deuteronom- Deuteronomium, Deuteronomium 
which means second law. The only problem with that is not really a second law. It's not a new law given uh, as if the first wasn't right or wasn't good or he had a... What it is is it's renewing the, the law that he gave them at Sinai. It's calling this new generation... And if you think about it, these, these were all the people that were 20 years or younger when they came out of Egypt. So some of these people were born in the desert over the last 40 years. Uh, all of them, even the oldest, so they'd be, even the, the ones that came out of Egypt uh, with their parents would be in their 60s to 40s at this time, right? And so this is the new generation, and he is reminding them of what God did, of what he said, of what they are, and what God has called them to be and to do in this new land. And so that's, that's what the book is all about. Um, and, uh, but they get the word, the name Deuteronomy from Deuteronomy seventeen eighteen, which says, now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law. So they took that, uh, in, in this Septuagint translation and they, they call it Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Uh, uh, and so, and that's actually something that, uh, he's telling the, the future Kings of Israel they're called to do. We'll talk more about this covenant renewal thing because it's something he mentions here in Deuteronomy for subsequent generations that come after this as well. Um, so anyway, like I said, These Are the Words is actually a really good title for the book. Um, and uh, uh, Peter Craigie in his commentary says, Deuteronomy is not primarily a corpus of law, uh, nor even a historical record. It purports rather to be a record of words addressed by Moses to the Israelites. And so I think thinking about it that way and understanding these are three sermons and these are three sermons that were written down and recorded immediately and then put in the Ark of the Covenant for the people of Israel to be able to reference and read every seven years moving forward uh, for this covenant renewal. That helps you to understand the purpose of Deuteronomy and why uh, the Lord had Moses uh, speak this and say this and do it. So that's kind of the title. That's what it means. Uh, so now let's talk about Moses, the author of Deuteronomy is Moses. Now, again, if you go read the commentaries, you got all kinds of critical commentaries that say Moses isn't the author, and you got the JPDE, all that stuff, and the different sources that it comes from. And again, I don't even want to get into that because we believe that God's word is God's word. God's word itself references Moses as being the author of Deuteronomy over and over and over. So if Moses isn't the author, then Joshua had it wrong, Jesus had it wrong, Paul had it wrong, all the other authors of the Bible had it wrong. Uh, we're going to assume it's God's inerrant word, that these men were speaking God's truth, and Moses is the author, and it's just that simple. Moses is the author of Deuteronomy. Uh, and, and the book itself, over and over and over, says it. These are the words which Moses spoke. Moses undertook to expound this law. Moses wrote this law. Moses wrote this song. Moses finished writing the words of the law. Deuteronomy itself attests that Moses was the one. Again, if you don't be, believe in the inerrancy uh, of God's word, then you don't have any problem being like, yeah, I know it says that, but that's not true. But we have a problem with that, because if that's not true, well, then where do you draw that line, you know? And how do you know what is and isn't true? And so we're going to come right back down underneath the, the word of God and says Moses wrote it, Moses wrote it. It's just that simple. Moses was the, the human author of Deuteronomy. Obviously, these are the words of God that Moses is expounding. These are the words of God that Moses is articulating. Um, and uh, like I said, the Old Testament and the New Testament strongly support the claim that Moses wrote it. I didn't write all these up here, but basically, uh, Judges, Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, all quotes directly from Deuteronomy and attribute the writing to Moses himself. 
in the New Testament, again, I didn't write the, the um, references up here, but Matthew 19, 7, Mark 12, 19, Luke 28, all those are Christ. And Jesus says, quoting verses directly from Deuteronomy, Moses said, and then he quotes Deuteronomy. Um, and uh, same thing in Acts 3, uh, Peter does the same thing. Uh, in Romans 10, Paul does it. In 1 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul does it again. So obviously, Jesus thought Moses wrote it. And then the New Testament writers thought Moses wrote it. So we're going to go with Moses wrote it. Um, and uh, Joshua probably wrote down Deuteronomy 32.48 through 34.12 uh, shortly after. Because, again, Moses didn't write about his own death. And, uh, and so this is probably something, you know, Moses got all the way through Genesis 30. I mean, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 31 began at 32. And Joshua probably finished up the rest. Uh, but then they and then put it in the Ark of the Covenant, which is what God told Joshua to do with the writing anyway. So that's the, the author of Deuteronomy. The date. So when was this written? Again, this is helpful to understand when it was written, uh, both because it helps us to, uh, to, to get down to what we're trying to do in here with, with anything here at the church is like, what was the author's intent and why was this written, to whom it was written, and what are the therefore implications for us? Um, so basically, we know it, it must be written somewhere between 1407 to 05 BC, somewhere in that area, um, because we, we know certain things. We know Moses died in or around 1405, 1406. So, you know, and, and then they went into the promised land right after this. Within the next two months, they were at Jericho. So whether, you know, you could say maybe Joshua wrote it down or, or some of this stuff was written, finished after that. So, Again, but it's going to be somewhere in this ballpark. Uh, again, if you read the commentaries, you got people saying it was written during Josiah's reign. They got, you know, it was written later to, for, for Israel to use this as something to regather the nation. I mean, it's just, it's just silly. Um, it was written in 1405, 1406, 1407 B.C. Some of the reasons that you can kind of nail down the date. We know Solomon's temple was founded in either six, or 967 or 966 B.C. In 1 Kings 6.1, it says uh, that this happened in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, which was 480 years after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. So taking that, you can trace back to see, well, then when was the exodus? That means the exodus from Egypt had to be somewhere 1447, 1446 B.C. That means, and then you, the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years after coming out of Egypt, which means Moses would have died somewhere there, 1407, 6, 5-ish. Some people say 1405. Uh, 1407, some people say, you got a little bit of, you know, play there, but you can nail it down pretty close. So Deuteronomy was written about 1,400 years before the birth of Christ. Um, and, uh, and then, like I said, we know in Deuteronomy 34, 8, they wept for Moses for 30 days after uh, he died. We know in Joshua 1, 11, that it took three days. Joshua said, prepare, because in, in about three days we're going to go into the land. The spies had to hide for three days in Joshua 2 when they, you know, they went to visit Rahab, and they were searching for these spies. So they went up into the mountains and hid for three days before they went back um, to, uh, to the people of Israel to tell them, we need to take the land. Uh, we know that Israel, uh, after that, lodged in Shittim for three days. So the, the whole nation lodged there for three days before crossing the Jordan. Um, and then after that, they crossed the Jordan, and they were, uh, I can't remember the name of the town, I didn't write it down, but they were right outside of Jericho, and they circumcised all the males because they didn't do it in the desert, and they had a heel before they took Jericho, so that would take a week or more. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so if you add all that up, you got at least a two-month window from 
the, the end of the narrative to the taking of, of Jericho. And so, you know, like I said, it, it was written at some point uh, during that time. And that's where, that's where we'll be um, uh, in, the, in the writing of Deuteronomy. Uh, and then we also know, actually I, I didn't mention this, that they actually observed the Passover uh, there, which is the 14th day of the first month of Nisan, which basically tells us there's about a two-month period uh, between the death of Moses and, the, and the, uh, the taking Jericho, or right before they take Jericho. So that we have little time markers in the Bible that kind of help you go, okay, it had to be somewhere right here. Um, we know this, that Israel is, I didn't put it up there, Israel is camping on the plains of Moab. Actually, maybe I did put it. No, I didn't. Yeah, I did. Right here. Um, it's three expositions of Moses. They're in one location. They're in this location for uh, a, a, at least a month um, period of time, and they're on the plains of Moab. So that's, that's what we're looking at. This whole thing was spoken by Moses within a month or about a month period of time on the plains of Moab before Moses dies and before Joshua leads them over the Jordan um, into the promised land. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so that's Deuteronomy 1.1. It starts with, these are the words, there it is, which Moses spoke to all of Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. By the way, wilderness is always desert. You know, growing up, I just thought wilderness, like they're in the jungle, you know, but it's the desert. They're in the desert. So anytime you see wilderness, you're in the desert. Um, and the Arabah is a part of the desert right there. Um, and uh, in Deuteronomy 1.5, across the Jordan in the land of Moab, they're on this plain. Um, and I think I actually have some pictures here of a map. So there you have Israel. The plains of Moab are over here. So there, the Jordan River is running right up the, the middle there. And so that's where Moses spoke these words. That's where Deuteronomy happened, if you want to say it that way. Gilgal is where they went over and circumcised all the males and hung out there for a week. And then they took Jericho. This is just another map that kind of, I guess, shows you the topography of, uh, of the land. But you got the plains of Moab. Mount Nebo over here is where Moses went up to see the promised land one last time right before he died. So that's where Moses died. Um, and then Joshua, like I said, took him over, and Jericho's right there before you hit the desert again. And this is the, this is the Arabah. So if this is standing on top of Mount Nebo, looking out uh, over the Jordan River that you can see right down there. And, uh, and uh, or I'm sorry, that's not the Jordan River. This is, this is the Arabah. I guess the Jordan would be over there somewhere. But it gives you, I just wanted you to see kind of a visual of where they would be and what it would look like. That's the Dead Sea over there to the left. So again, I mean, when we talk about the Israelites grumbling and complaining in the desert, we're like, why didn't they just trust the Lord? Dude, <laughs> we would have been grumbling and complaining just like them, you know? I mean, it doesn't take long to be out in the middle of something like that to be like, I'm hungry and thirsty. Uh, so anyway, so that's where we're at. And what is this? Oh, that's the Exodus. Okay, so they're, they're, this, this sermon, these series of sermons were basically written uh, right after the, the, the 40 years of wandering in the desert, uh, basically the Israelites uh, left from somewhere over here uh, in Egypt near Ramses. They crossed the, um, the Red Sea. There's different versions of this map, but we know they went down to Sinai, which is uh, down in the wilderness of Sinai at the bottom of this peninsula. And then they go and they wander basically uh, in, around Edom and Seir for 40 years until finally the Lord brings them up to, to this place, uh, and uh, they're about to cross over. Uh, Kadesh, 
Barnea right here, or Bar, yeah, Barnea, this is where they would have gone in. So they leave, they go to Sinai for a year, they, you know, Leviticus is down here, and they go up here, it's 11 days journey from here to here, and that's where the spies went out to search the land, said it's full of giants, we can't take the land, and basically they, uh, they, they rejected the Lord, and then he, they basically just wandered around this part of the desert for 40 years, and then they went up uh, to... Uh, to the plains of Moab, and that's where they actually went into the land. And um, I don't know why I put this in there, but it's a cool picture. <laughs> Someone, I think, I, I don't know how they did this, but uh, basically they're showing the pillar of cloud, and, and this is supposed to be Israel, just following the pillar of cloud through the desert for 40 years uh, as the first generation uh, died out. Um, and actually, this is good to know too. So during this time, you got, basically they leave Egypt. Egypt and uh, the Hittite Empire would have been the two powers during the time. Egypt would have had political control over the land of Canaan, but God just wiped out the Egyptian army uh, in the Red Sea. And so even historically, this is a time where even though Egypt, in in a sense, that was their their colonies, uh, it was during this time that those nation states in the land of Canaan were really out there on their own. It was the perfect time. I mean, this is just the Lord setting everything up, wiping out Egypt, who had control over it, over that, and then it allows Israel to, to walk in and to take out these little nation states one by one without Egypt coming to, to help out their, their little colonies um, because they're kind of powerless and regrouping back down there. Uh, and the, the Hittite Empire would not have had uh, control over this region at the time. But that was just kind of a, a neat thing to, uh, to kind of visualize as well. And just to think about that too. That's something we're going to talk about with all these promises. When God talks about, you know, if you do this, this, and this, if you follow my commands, you'll be blessed. The ground, the, the rain will fall. The, the ground will produce uh, vegetation. If you don't, you know, the, the sky will be like iron or bronze and the ground won't produce. But you just got to remember, the reason these promises make sense, God controls all these things. He controls these nations. He decided for these nations to be where they were at the time. God set all that up for the perfect time for the Israelites to go in. And nothing could stop them because God was giving them the land. He was fulfilling a promise he made to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. And on top of that, it's the Lord that controls the rain, the Lord that controls the land, the Lord that controls. So his promises are valid because he's the one that controls it all. So when he says this is going to happen, we just got to trust him, you know. And when he says you're going to take the land, don't fear the people. Yeah, they look like giants and they're way more powerful than you. Then you just got to trust him. And when he says we're not doing this because of your own strength and your own power or because you were good, but because of a promise I made to him, to Abraham, you guys are, are, are bad people. I mean, that, that's, we have to trust him. And it's the same thing with us. We're not here because of our merit. We're not here because of our good. And whatever's coming in front of us, we have to understand that the Lord does all things for our good. He does all things for the glory of Christ. Uh, he, he, he's in control of all those things, and we have to trust him. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I just grabbed these things, like, off, like I said, off of Google. Now, the thing is, is... Yeah, yeah, I'll send it to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> Um, this is this is interesting to know too, and I think I've already mentioned this. But to get from the Red Sea to Sinai took three months, and then they were they were at Sinai for a year. Leviticus is a, a year and a month basically. They were at Sinai. That's where the Lord was teaching them who He was, what they were called to be, why He just brought them out. I mean, there's a reason uh, why them, and uh, and then what their the law was like. Basically, it's it's a covenant, it's agreement. I I am now you know Egypt is no longer your master and king, and you're no longer slaves there. I now 
own you, or I now am your father. You can look at it both ways. And it's a, it's a covenant of love, and they're, 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 they're now entering into a relationship with God being their father. But it's also uh, one of the things that the commentaries all were saying was is it's written just like a, a, a Hittite, um, Suzerian, uh, vassal treaty, basically, between a king that owns the land and then the, the subjects that are going to submit to the king. And when you read Deuteronomy, it's written like that. Uh, the king is God. He is their king. He is the one that has redeemed them and made them his people. It's his land. They're his people. And, and this is what his people are like. And they're called to basically submit to him in love. Um, but all that being said, that's what was happening at Sinai. Again, if you just go read Leviticus, you're like, oh, why am I reading this? How does it apply? You know, but then if you understand why he was doing what he's doing, then it applies to you in, in many ways. In the same way... <clears throat> We are also a chosen nation, a people of God's own Peter 1, or 1 Peter 2, uh, that we are called to be the people of God. We belong to him, and he sends us out into the world, and we're called to have a certain, uh, you know, we're, we're called to be holy like he is holy. We're called to love like Christ loved. We have a standard that we're called to be, or we, like we said last week in 1 Corinthians 10, become useless, useless for his service. Um, and we have a mission and a, a job on this earth to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to, uh, to, to uh, uh, obey all that Christ has commanded them. Um, and again, so it's not like we just get to call our own shots and we're here to do what we want to do. In the same way, the Lord has sent his son to die for us, now calls us out of the darkness into his marvelous light, makes us the church, and the church has a purpose on this planet, uh, both now, during this time, and then even for the future of Israel, which we'll talk about, I mean, part of what he's done right now is taken us and, and drawn us out to make a nation that wasn't even a nation to be a nation to cause them to be jealous so that they come to repentance and he fulfills all the things that he's called or he's told them they will do. And we'll get into that in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. But anyway, going back to this, Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, and this is interesting as well. If you look at Deuteronomy 1, 2 through 3, it's 11 days journey from Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai. It's the same, it's just another title for the same mountain by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea, which is where the spies went out. In other words, it could have been 11 years if they had just trusted the Lord. It couldn't have been because there's no what if, you know, there's only what is. But it took 11 days to get from Sinai to the promised land. That's where Israel was like, we can't do this, you know. God's not big enough to do this. And so they just wandered around in circles in the desert for 40 years until all of those people died. And now the new generation that had to endure the consequences of their parents' disobedience are on the plains of Moab, and they're about to go in. And the Lord, they're going to they're gonna obey the Lord, and they're going to go in. But again, it's these little things that you just don't think about until you read it, and you're like, that's crazy. Three months to Sinai, a year getting trained up and, and, and called on mission and all that kind of stuff, you want to say that, 11 days to get there, that could have been the beginning of Joshua. But the Lord knew. And this was the Lord's will. And so they spent 40 years in the desert. For an example to us, uh, for, for them to be the people that God wanted to use, and, and we need to pay attention to that and, and, uh, and you know, learn from it. So the purpose of Deuteronomy, so this is, this is the, the, the main purpose. Oh, and I, I meant to mention before we move on to this, the recipients of Deuteronomy, of these sermons, is that second generation. At this point, the only people that you have from the first generation that came out are Caleb and Joshua, which are the two of the original, you know, 20 and over, ready for war to go out, that actually get to walk into the promised land. Uh, and Moses would still be alive, but he's going to die after Deuteronomy, before they go in. 
Um, so it's, it's the second generation of Israel that, this, that, that are the recipients of these sermons uh, and, and what these words are meant for. Um, and uh, the ones that, like I said, came out of Egypt would be between 40 and 60. Anyone under 40 would have been born in the desert during the wanderings. And so, and there obviously were a lot of them because if you look at the numbers, I didn't write down the verses, but it's almost the exact same number of people that go into the land that came out of Egypt, which means a lot of kids were born in the desert. And so think about that. A lot of these words, they would have heard the stories from their parents or even the ones that were 40. I mean, they would have been zero. You know, so the ones that were 50 were 10 when they came out. And so again, they would have seen it. They would have perceived it. But Moses now is explaining it uh, probably in a way maybe their parents said, but uh, he's trying to give them an understanding of what you are and why you've been doing what you've been doing and what you're called to do over the next forever. I mean, but definitely over the next few years as you take the land. And so that's, that's the, 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 who it was written to. So the purpose of the book uh, Deuteronomy is a series of expositions or sermons by Moses reviewing the history of the nation of Israel. Everything that happened from Exodus to number, he's, he's going to review that with this new generation. And he's going to challenge the new generation of Israel uh, who will soon enter the promised land to live faithfully to the covenant that Yahweh their God has made with them. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. And he's going to, you know, there's going to be other things in there. There's, there's many other uh, purposes for Deuteronomy, but that is the main purpose. And the way I remember it, just to, if, if I'm like, how do, I, how do you say that real quick? It's review and renew the covenant with the, the new generations. Or it's the second generation exhortation. All right? Here they are on the plains of Moab. They're about to go in, and Moses is going, this is where you came from, and this is why God did it. Here's where you're at. Here's what you're about to do. Live faithfully to him. That is the key. Live faithfully to him. He'll do everything he said. Don't trust him, then he'll do everything he said. And, and that's, that's what uh, Deuteronomy is all about. And it comes with the blessings and the curses, uh, which are reminders that God will be faithful no matter what uh, Israel does. Um, it's also about appointing Joshua as the new leader of Israel. You've got to think about that. So now Joshua is going to be the one leading them in. And, and both God and Moses, or God through Moses, if you want to say it that way, uh, uh, sanctions, sanctions Joshua uh, so that the people know the transfer of power, if you want to say it that way, from Moses being the leader to Joshua being the leader. And Joshua is the one uh, that they need to, to follow and to lead. God is the one that chose Joshua. Actually, in Deuteronomy 31.3, it says, It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. So again, part of Deuteronomy is to, uh, to tell the Israelites it is Joshua and no one else that is to lead you into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 31, 7 through 8, it says, Moses then called Joshua, said to him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. Again, over and over and over. It's God who's going to do this. But Joshua, you must be strong and courageous, and you must lead them. People, you must live faithfully to the Lord and submit to Joshua. God will do what he said he will do. It says, he will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not, be, do not fear or be dismayed. Like I said, Deuteronomy is written like a suzerian or vassal treaty of that era. Um, and uh, through covenant, Israel was now bound to God. They were subservient to Yahweh alone. 
not to the Hittites, not to the Egyptians. They don't even get to decide what they want to do or even how to fight. They have to trust him. If he says walk around a city and that's what's going to do it, do that. You know, if he says don't take anything and I'll take care of it, well, then do that. You know, the Lord's ways are going to be the Lord's ways. We have to trust what he says. And so that is their captain. That is the one that's calling the, or he is the one calling the shots. Um, Like I said, they're no longer under Egyptian control. They are now subservient to Yahweh God. Uh, And they think about it this way. Deuteronomy, in that sense, is a declaration of Israel's uh, um, independence from any other nation and their dependence, complete submission and dependence on Yahweh. The land belongs to God. The land was his. He's the one that designated this land. He says it's my land. And he wants his people, Israel, to be on that land forever. And he's going to do it in his way. Even right now, we look at it and we're like, well, this is not what we would have expected. You know, they're scattered all over the world. You know, there's this tiny little nation state over there full of a bunch of people that don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But he still said, this is my land forever. And they will be there forever. And, you know, that's, that's what God has declared. And so the land belongs to him, Israelite. Uh, the Israel is uh, the vassal of Yahweh. And only Israel has a claim as tenants of the land. So again, I mean, the Muslims may say this is our land. It's just not. I mean, and that's not up to, and it's not because that's our opinion. It's just, it's, it's God's land, and it belongs to Israel, and that's what he's designated. And so that's, uh, that's what's, what's going on in Deuteronomy. He's taking them into his land and making them his people. Peter Craigie, uh, in his commentary, that, uh, this is one of the ones I think I'm going to lean on as we go through this. Uh, he actually says, um, all the people were gathered together on the plains of Moab to be addressed by Moses. And as the address continued, there are some particular events and actions that begin to appear in Israel. And he lays it out in, in these seven points. And I think this is good to kind of see. Because, again, as, as after he does the review of the history and, all, and the statutes and the, the commandments that the Lord has given them and reviews Sinai and all that, they get, you get down to the, near the end of Deuteronomy and you, you start seeing certain events happen. There's not a lot of events in Deuteronomy. It's, it's, it's like a, it's a sermon, you know? So it's like, you know, if, if you were like, what were the people doing? They were just listening, you know? So there's not a lot of stuff happening. But stuff does start happening here at the very end after the, the sermons are coming to a close, if you want to say it that way. In Deuteronomy 26, the people formally declare their allegiance by affirming that the Lord was their God. So this, this whole covenant is given and the people affirm we are the people of God. We will submit to the Lord. We are going to do the things God's called us to do. Um, instructions were given for the renewal of the covenant in Shechem. So once they go over the, to the promised land, they take the land. They're to do this again. You do Deuteronomy again in Shechem. Joshua is going to read the law. They're going to go on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. They're going to do the blessings and the curses. He's going to read Deuteronomy. He, he, he reads everything that Moses said. And so they're going to do this again in Shechem. And then blessings and curses are announced to the people, which made it very clear uh, the results that would follow in obedience or disobedience to the law set down by God, of the, by the God of the covenant. So, again, he's telling them, I mean, this is, if you trust me and you do what I've called you to do because you're my people and you're in my land and I have a purpose for you, well, then this, I'll, I will take care of all this. But if you don't, then there are, the curse is attached to this. And even that is, again, for the glory of his name, he's going to be magnified and glorified. Even so, if people come and they're like, what happened to his people? Then it was all written out. They didn't trust him. They didn't follow him. They did not submit to his covenant. And that is why they're dispersed around the world right now. I mean, we are seeing currently in 2023 the result of their disobedience to this covenant that he's making here on the plains of Moab and then in Shechem later. 
Uh, also, Joshua was appointed as Moses' successor. We've already kind of talked about that, but that's an event that happens at the very end. The next thing, uh, the next event is instructions were given regarding the deposition of the text of the covenant in the Ark of the Covenant. So Deuteronomy was to be put in the Ark of the Covenant so that the people would again renew this covenant frequently. And, and after that, he tells them what to do with it. And general instructions were given for the normative covenant renewal process. Every seven years while Israel is in the land, they were supposed to gather together and do this again. What's happening on the plains of Moab should happen in Shechem. What happened on the plains of Moab and Shechem should happen every seven years. The covenant, because you got new people being born and people forgetting. I mean, think about you guys. You, can't, you don't read the Bible once and you're like, all right, sweet, we're set for life, you know? I mean, we need it every week, every day, over and over. We got to have the Word of God retraining and refreshing and, and helping us to see straight. And, uh, and then finally, Moses wrote down a song. And this, again, I just think this is so cool. He uses music and uses a song to be a continual reminder for the people of Israel, even to this day, of what God said here on the plains of Moab. And and, and it, they're even in the song going to be talking about the subsequent generations and the falling away from the Lord and the Lord dispersing them and then him, but him bringing them back. And so the song was written and taught to the people. And the singing of the song marked the formal conclusion of the renewal ceremony in the plains of Moab. But the song is even to this day a reminder of Israel to repent. God will redeem you. In Deuteronomy 31, I didn't write this down, 10 through 13, this is uh, referenced in point number six here about the general instructions. It says, Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, so this is when it's supposed to happen, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, which we learn is Jerusalem, and that's where the temple is and all that, you shall read the law in front of all of Israel in their hearing. Again, I think he's referring to Deuteronomy there. Not like, you know, read from Exodus all the way through Numbers, but read Deuteronomy. Read what we're talking about here in, in, in Moab. Do what we're going to do in Shechem. He says, assemble the people, the men and the women, the children and the alien who is in your town. Why? Purpose statement is so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe the words of this law. Their children who have not known will hear and learn and fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. So again, if you think about what is going on and why Moses is doing it, and you start realizing this is something that is supposed to happen over and over and over throughout the history of Israel. Did it? No. And the, and the consequences or the, 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 the curse that the Lord pronounced that would happen happened. It may have during Josiah, you know, when they found the book of the law and Josiah finds it and he reads it and they all repent and weep and all that. Maybe he found Deuteronomy and they read Deuteronomy and they read this. The very thing that Moses is about to speak, we're about to read and hear. Um, and, uh, and it could have happened that one time. It did happen in Shechem. We have historical record of that. But outside of Shechem and maybe uh, Josiah's revival, I don't know. I can't think of any other time. I didn't dig this out in my study, but I can't think of any other time Old Testament narrative-wise that this ever happened again. But it was supposed to happen every seven years, and that would be the reminder. Real quick, we're almost done. The outline of Deuteronomy. So let me put this up here. So this kind of gives you a, a map, a road map through Deuteronomy. And this is kind of what we're going to take. There's all kinds of different outlines that get super, super detailed, but this is like a big, big picture flyover 
overview. You got the three different expositions. So you got basically chapters one through four is Moses' first exposition. Most of that is things that God has done, like the history, where they came from. Promise of Abraham, getting from you know, uh, um, Egypt to, to here, to where we're at today. So basically that's it. So uh, like again, number one, from, from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, where they, the spies uh, were afraid, didn't go in, Israel rebelled, and then they... They basically, uh, for 40 years, two, two chapters for 40 years of history. So, again, we'll, we'll be covering numbers in there. And then, uh, and then guidance uh, towards obedience. So Moses is going to, in chapter 4, start telling them what happened at Sinai, reminding them of that. Then you have the second exhibition or the second sermon or second um, uh, discourse here. And it's basically what God expects. In the second sermon, he's going to be reviewing what God did say at Sinai. And again, he's not say it all. Because there's a lot there that is missing. If you go read Exodus, I mean, he's missing all the instructions for the temple and all that kind of stuff. It, all, most of Leviticus is missing. I mean, there's, there's snippets in there, but just, just a, 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 a kind of a, a picture of it. But if you think about it being an exposition, it's kind of what we're doing here. We're like looking at it and going, here's what God said. So Moses is taking the whole thing and saying, this is what God said. And so he's going to give an exposition of, uh, of, the, of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and the, the, uh, the commandments that God gave to Israel. Uh, he's going to go through a bunch of different statutes uh, in 12 through 16. Uh, and then um, the exposition of the judgments, of, of, uh, of the consequences and, and, uh, of, of disobedience and all of that in 16 through 26. It ends with the blessings and the curses. And then finally, the third exposition, the third sermon, if you want to say it that way, is basically what God will do. And you actually get a glimpse of the new covenant here, this tiny little glimpse of that that is terminology that God will speak later to Ezekiel and to Jeremiah, talking about another covenant that he will make, which is the new covenant that Jesus Christ ratified on the cross, which is some of my favorite parts of Deuteronomy, because you get this little snippet of, I'm going to take care, you know, you're called to obey me, but you're not. You're going to fall away from me. I'm going to do everything I said I would do. I will still be glorified through that, but I will redeem you. He said, like, I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to change you. I'm going to bring you back to the land. Yahweh God, in the end, is still going to do everything he said he was going to do. But he's going to do it through another prophet or another king or another one that's coming, which is Jesus Christ. And that's going to be really, really cool to look at. The very end, number four here, is basically, they call it the historical appendix. But basically, you got Moses calling them to obedience. You have the song. you got the blessing of Moses and then the death of Moses, and that's how Deuteronomy ends. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, all that being said, um, this is, real quick, some of the theology that we'll be digging out in Deuteronomy. And again, this isn't comprehensive, but Deuteronomy is explicit and explained the character and the nature of who God is. That's super important. Understanding Yahweh God, the God that we love and serve, the God that we call Father, the God that that, that, that we are longing to, to uh, follow and submit to and please and to see one day, it's very explicit in Deuteronomy who he is. And that's, that's major for us. Uh, him establishing the nation of Israel. I mean, he, he, in this whole renewal of the covenant and the sending of the second generation, I mean, we see exactly why he chose Israel and what their and even what their future is. And so that's going to be exciting to look at. Uh, the Mosaic Covenant. I mean, this thing is replete with the whole, you know, what God called Israel to be at Mount Sinai. So we'll talk about that. And then, like I said, you'll get a snippet of the New Covenant in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, which I think is just, especially as the church, we see that and we're like, that's amazing. You know, from the very beginning, he, he always knew. 
I mean, from Genesis 3.15, right? He just starts telling us a little bit about the one that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And here we have more about what God's going to do in the redemption of Israel and the redemption of the world. Um, so, uh, and like I said, that's not some comprehensive thing. We're going to learn a lot theologically through Deuteronomy. But so those are some of the main things to kind of be looking out for. Uh, looking at the, again, just big picture stuff, the parts of Deuteronomy. Uh, basically, it starts with a preamble, you know, just opening the letter. Then it's the historical prologue. He's going to talk about what God has done, the general stipulations, specific stipulations. So basically talking about the Ten Commandments, what God called, said at Sinai, main things they're called to be, the blessings and the curses, and then the new covenant and the ending. So that's just real fast, big picture. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, I won't go into all that. I was just going to tell you what all of those things meant, but, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, well, a little bit. Preamble is basically... <laughs> Moses' role as the prophet. He's the prophet that's going to be, you know, saying all these things. Uh, in the historical prologue, basically, this is the history that reflects God's will. And that's, that's something I've already mentioned. But again, what you have to understand, and this is a, a again, I just think when, when you think about the Jewish perspective of history, this Jewish perspective of history, is very different than our secular perspective of history, right? We look back at all these things that man did, but what history is, is all the things that God is doing, you know? Future is all the things that God will do. And so when you, we talk about the, both the history of Israel, it's not just, here's some historical events that happened for this nation. This is what God was doing. The reason that we only have I mean, God doesn't give a history of all these other nations because they don't matter in that sense. Not that those people didn't matter to God, but this matters because this is like, this is God's account of all the, the of, of him bringing about his son, of him uh, doing all the things he's called, said he's going to do. And, and, and ultimately, I mean, the, the salvation of all the people of God and the, the kingdom. That's a way to look at the Bible, by the way. If you want to understand the Bible from beginning to end, you look at the, 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 articulation of and the development of the kingdom of God through the whole thing. That's what God is trying to convey to us. Um, and the king, who is the king of his kingdom, is Christ. And so the whole thing is about Christ and the kingdom of God and what God is doing. And so that's how this falls in historically. Again, it's not just like, yeah, we love Israel. Let's study the history of Israel. It's like, no, we're looking at God and what God is doing uh, when it comes to his kingdom. So I think those are just, like I said, important things to remember as we study this and, and just remembering that even when he describes blessings and curses, again, he's the one that controls all these things, you know? If he wants to stop the rain, he stops the rain. If he wants the plants to grow, the plants will grow. Now, we have to trust him and submit to him, be faithful to do what he says, but then we apply those principles in our life. To, to trust what he says in his word and to submit to that is so much more important than making sure, you know, your finances are all together and that you're planning for the future. and the light. I mean, those things are not unimportant. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the most important thing is to be faithful to him and to trust him. If you're not doing that, all the other stuff is useless, right? That's Ecclesiastes. Do whatever you want. It's all vanity. But if you fear him and trust him and obey his commandments, well, then all these other things become blessings in this life. But you neglect that, and it's just worthless. And again, I think that's what the nation of Israel is, is just proof of, um, the, the worthlessness of anything apart from submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and a love for him. So I told you the schedule. That's kind of the schedule. So next week, we're going to dive into Genesis and Exodus. Uh, like I said, a very quick overview. And then the week after that, Leviticus and Numbers. And then we'll Deuteronomy 1.1. And I'm, I'm excited. I think it'll be fun. So... Uh, yeah, let me uh, pray for us. I was going to say, too, maybe we'll do some periodic Q&As. 
throughout this thing. I think that'd be helpful. I know, like, uh, the dialogue would be cool. The only problem with that sometimes is it just pulls you off track. And I, I like the I like the sermon style, but uh, or teaching style. But I definitely want to because I know you're going to be thinking about things, not like you're loony, but like you're going to be thinking. And so I'll try to throw in Q and A's frequently through this thing. So be writing down your cues, and I'll see if I can come up with some A's. All right, let me <laughs> let me pray for us.